0: Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Live number 442.
1: This week on the podcast, we never thought we'd be so excited about this many needles.
0: Plus Labor Day is the most exciting it's been in 60 years.
1: And Alaskans unite in their opposition to mixed metaphors and slam poetry.
0: Plus Trump is living a PSA alerting Americans to the dangers of not paying your lawyers.
1: And Joe Biden prepares Americans for spooky season. We'll have all this and more. This is Brain Trust Live. Hey, y'all. I'm Brent.
0: I'm Lila, and you can find us on the web at www.braintrustlive.com.
1: You are also about to find us at our local CVS or Walgreens. Correct. Getting jabbed.
0: Getting more jabs after a year of many jabs and a lifetime of needle phobia.
1: I know. It's been a year for me. I feel really left out because I didn't get that second booster even though I qualified, but instead I just got COVID. And so then I didn't need the booster. And so now... I'm I didn't get it because I was like, there's going to be one in the fall. So I'm like, really, it's been like almost a full year. It was like July. This 20th, is or I mean very September exciting. The, yeah, no, I
0: no. feel like I was feeling very naked without a second booster. So I'm happy that I got one. But it did get to the point where people started to be like, if I get one now, will I be able to get one in the fall when we know that the yeah. new Omicron ones are coming out? But no, you guys, apparently if you've had it more than two months ago, which is barely any time, then you can just go ahead and get this new booster anyway. So we're just.
1: Well, they were always saying that. I think remember after they had the first, because I was, initially I was, I mean, the guidance, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, has been all over the place. But like, yeah. I was initially qualifying as someone who was immunocompromised in the first round of these, which is how I got mine a little bit earlier. And then you get your two, you know, it's a two-dose vaccine, remembering back <laughs> to when we Remember initially got vaccines, right? And for the immunocompromised people, you were supposed to get your third one, your booster, which was what was everybody else was calling their booster, within 28 days of that second shot
0: oh right so they were
1: just treating it like as a three da- vaccine dose essentially which is why ultimately I feel like my shots are all over the place in terms of like where, yeah. when everyone else got theirs because like I got a third one quickly and then like I didn't get one for a while and then got uh, I don't and know then how got you've been COVID and like uh, I don't even know where I'm at uh, uh. <laughs>
0: for a year without a COVID vaccine it's,
1: it's all over it's- the place yeah.
0: I feel like I've had like 25 vaccines of various sorts in the time I know. that i have I had monkeypox mixed in there. I still got a
1: welt from monkeypox, yeah. by the way. That's been three full weeks.
0: Is that the interdermal well. result? My next some, whatever one will be.
1: The first one I didn't get that way. I got the just straight like into the flesh. But the next one is going to be gross. the interdermal one. I know. Yeah.
0: Makes you worry a little because um, it sounds gross. Yeah.
1: yeah. But it I doesn't feel make like you worry this, for
0: science reasons, you guys. Get your vaccines if you qualify. <laughs>
1: I know. I feel like this, this specific one sort of like snuck up on us a little bit. I mean, like we've been knowing yeah. that it was going to happen, but like all of a sudden it was just like the FDA and the CDC were like, yep. And then they're like, they're being shipped right now. Like I think you can get them in some places. Like, yeah, out no, there you, for you you, I know some and people in qualifies. LA have gotten them. There's no, all the, right. all, the only thing that it is is the time thing. Like they want it to be like two months after. But I think for Pfizer, anybody 12 and over can just like go get one right now.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that's actually, I'm hoping that that will help get us back on track. I think some of the chaos of those earlier ones had a lot to do with people's confusion about whether they qualified and also guilt about taking up a shot. And so people started even, like, it made it very difficult for all of us to advertise this as, like, a fun group activity. Because I remember when I got my shot, I got an accidental one early. Brent's saying he qualified for being immunocompromised. I got mine, like, three months before he did.
1: (laughs) Right, I know. right, Um, (laughs) right.
0: But because of all of the, like, weird stigma around it, I didn't really get to advertise it. I didn't get to be, like, you know, posted on social media. I didn't get to uh, do the shot version of an I Voted selfie. Like, all of <laughs> right. the things that would have helped make it seem like it was a fun thing that the cool yeah, kids were totally. doing That's true. Were, were not being done. And yeah, you a lot just of would have had to have answered a lot way. of
1: annoying questions from people about how dare you right, steal one I, from somebody who was, you exactly. know whatever yeah right Right, so, it's
0: old is the answer
1: yeah old that's but um
0: <laughs> but i mean like because of that i think people there was like weird stigma around having gotten yes, the shot totally for a was. long time and people didn't fully shake that in the boosters because they still released yep. the boosters on this scale where it was like first old people yep. and then immunocompromised people and then everyone else and then by the time everyone was supposed to have gotten it a lot of people hadn't gotten it because they had felt too guilty to get it at the <laughs> beginning and then they kind of got convinced that they didn't need it yeah and with the Fourth boot, or the fourth shot, the third, the second booster, whatever, they never actually released that to the general public. And so, but almost everyone I know, That's besides true, Brent, yeah. got one. <laughs> so, know. you know, it, I think there's been a little bit of confusion that has made it so that people can't just like proudly post like a selfie of them having gotten the shot. And I think if if the shots are just broadly available, that will help make it yeah. normalized. Yeah, we can and go have a
1: booster party, a nationwide have booster, a booster party. party. Yeah. A
0: nationwide booster party, exactly. Yeah, I'm. Exactly excited to be on the cutting edge of having had a new booster i know a lot of people that are like i'm gonna wait a few weeks and i was like i'm gonna get it the literal moment that it is available (laughs) to me i I, do not care about waiting a few weeks
1: i know yeah Um, maybe that's crazy what
0: do i know i'm not a scientist either but you guys i would rather have a booster than not
1: Uh, same um happy labor day everyone
0: happy labor day
1: and this it's like is actually the, like a Happy Labor Day this time. I mean, I was not that say, we're not, like that it, n- not that it never isn't, uh, or ever isn't. Listen, but like, Labor
0: Day is no May Day, but it's it's pretty great.
1: <laughs> sure, yeah.
0: But yeah, apparently we are reaching the uh, highest levels of public approval for unions in under in just under sixty years, yeah, according since to Gallup.
1: sixty-five. Yeah.
0: That's pretty exciting. Yeah, seventy-one percent of Americans. Americans. Yeah. We're really living the dream finally. Yeah. You know, what's been helpful is companies nickel and and diming people so extensively that they have started to form unions at local branches of like very common consumer experiences (laughs) like Starbucks um, and REI. And that has made unions seem like a fun, normal thing that people should all do.
1: Yeah. Well, and COVID, too. I mean, I think like a lot of people are seeing that as like a huge driver here because so many people in those industries really found out that like, you know, those were the people that really sort of had to, you know, save America to a certain degree so people could continue to to eat and whatever else. And they didn't really have the protections that maybe they thought they had or had never thought to think that they needed
0: or that um, maybe just respected people in places. yet
1: <laughs> Right. Exactly. Some yeah, of those protections I mean.
0: include like adequate pay and <laughs> just like right. general, normal compensation.
1: Totally. Yes. Um, Yeah, apparently
0: there's been a big spike in uh, union petitions with the NLRB. Yeah,
1: I think like 50% over even just last year. And there were a lot last year also. So there's been – and that's just in the first six months of the year so far. Um, And also – And Chipotle
0: is organizing.
1: I know. Just recently they had their first one just within this this last week. So, um, you know, and it's a lot of – Surprise, it's a lot of young people who are under the age of 35 who either entered into the Great Recession, uh, you know, or, you know, like in 2008 or entered into COVID or whatever. They're like, hey, maybe you should pay us and maybe we should have some protections at the office because those are the people who like their numbers are growing. They are filing for more of the petitions. 77% Seventy-seven percent of young people between um, eighteen and twenty-four say they support labor unions. So that's higher than the rest of the general population. In the you know people who are coming into the workforce right now, um, so I, this number is going to keep going up. I mean, it has to. I, overall participation. Also- that's the like overall participation. Is low, so that's there's like a disconnect here, and that's in part because it's hard. There's a lot of room to grow, right? We've seen all of the you know union busting that certainly some of these like big corporations do. So like you, they make it hard to join a union, but like clearly there's a desire there, and there's room for those numbers to grow. So it they will, I assume it's not as if corporations are just going to decide to pay people more. (laughs) That's not. I think that we've
0: (laughs) reached a tipping point also where there, there I. I've always thought this as like sort of as as job security has decreased, as compensation has sort of been as the the definition of compensation has been adjusted so that people don't see things like benefits as part of their compensation and those get sort of nickeled and dimed away from you, even if your actual salary doesn't increase. But we also never get raises. We never get anything to compensate for those things like there is like a tipping point where if you're say you're just like a mega evil, like rich CEO, right? just like what you know some kind of like you're the scrooge mcduck of whatever (laughs) you know giant corporate interest you control like there is a point where your complete lack of regard for everyone else becomes a short-term solution and creates an incredibly long-term problem for you because there's a point where people don't just say okay maybe i won't work here if this is how you treat your workforce but start to say like oh, I'm like so angry that I'm willing to go out on a limb and try something here. Once yeah. you get to the point where people are willing to like go out on a limb and try something instead of just being like, screw that guy, you really have created a problem for yourself. <laughs> That's you, true. This is, you could you could treat people just well enough that they don't try this. For years, people were just getting by on, like the 90s, no one was in a union. Everyone was being treated terribly, but not this terribly. There was like, you know, there, there were upturns and downturns, but they were never turned as down as things are right now. People weren't in as much debt as they're in right now. Like all yeah. of these things that came together, you know, prior to the pandemic were already sort of, you know, pro- like growing problems with the way that the workforce was treated. And then in addition to that, to have the sort of slap in the face of realizing that your employers don't just not care about you. In terms of your cost and your value monetarily, but also don't care about your quality of life or health, even right. in the most basic or way. Or you as people. Like,
1: I mean, they're also just firing or you people, as people who are, uh, you know, I exactly. mean, like, you're, you're, not, you're not a valued human at any of these companies. Exactly. Know, like so
0: it's like at a certain yeah. point when the entire workforce is operating this way, I think that a lot of CEOs think that they're colluding in some genius manner. But <laughs> right. instead, yeah. what they're doing is just creating like an entire generation that's like ready to totally. usher in the revolution. A whole workforce. Yeah. You know how the first labor movement happened? It was because of this exact problem. <laughs> you, this is how you get a labor movement.
1: Sure. You,
0: you just are so, you know, sort of like hilariously evil that people are forced to organize collectively even when they don't have a structure to do that. And that is how a union appears. I mean, remember when we started to see those teachers go on strike who weren't even members of their own union? Yeah. We saw that in a number of states. We saw yep. teachers strike as independent Strikes as opposed to union led strikes. And like, yeah. that's when you know, you've reached a tipping point because <laughs> right. that when you can take a labor action without a union, by the way, you guys. And that's what I think young people are sort of like being pushed into a situation where they kind of have to, to protect themselves. And then everyone is acting like shocked, like the labor movements back. And it's like, well, this is exactly what happens. Labor yep. movements are instigated by this exact confluence of events. So in any case, yep. good work, Gen Z. Just, Stick it to them, you know? Do it. That's so why I always say, I like Gen Z. I know everyone thinks they're uh, impossible, but that's what everyone says about every young generation. Every
1: young and generation. They said
0: that about millennials, and I, I think we say, were delightful. I was going to say, we were the
1: worst generation that had ever come along since the dawn right. of man. And, like, and
0: the reason for that was because we were ornery, and we started things like <laughs>
1: Occupy. <laughs> right. Like, right. get exactly. off
0: our backs. And yep. then Gen Z is, like, now out radicalizing us. And I'm <laughs> even hearing millennials shit talk Gen Z, and I'm like, you guys need to slow your roll.
1: Get a hold of yourself. Gen Z is, like, yeah.
0: Fulfilling the prophecy that was the millennial generation. Like, that's they—they are the next form of us.
1: Well, that's yeah. I think there's millennial jealousy at Gen Z.
0: Obviously, they—they're having so much more fun than us. Yeah, they can be any gender that they want at any time, and then in addition to that, they can sort of like lead the revolution.
1: I know. I saw some funny TikTok the other day that was like a some workplace thing where it was like you know some millennial being asked if they would work late and they like you know in their head being like i'm not going to do this you're not paying me for this but then being like yes i will and then th- them asking gen z if they will work late and gen z was like no i'm not fucking working late like, certainly not, not paying me to work i'm going home like you don't pay me to work late so i, heard I think so that much millennials are just mad boundaries. that gen z or closing their computers at five o'clock. I think that's.
0: I have learned a lot about boundaries from Gen Z, and I feel like the very people that are mad at them are the kind of people who are now in like slight managerial positions. Totally. So they're just mad that Gen Z won't work late because they did, what it it's like that's exactly maybe it is. we shouldn't have worked late, you guys. No,
1: yes. Maybe I yeah. shouldn't
0: have had to intern for free. I'm thrilled <laughs> that other people are not having to intern for free. This goes along with the same line of reasoning that is people being mad that other people got their student loans paid off after they have paid totally. off their loans.
1: Well, like, I was I, miserable, so. <laughs>
0: right, like I say this is someone who never had student loans. I'm an only child and just got real lucky. And like, I could not be happier for people who are getting debt relief for their student loans. Yeah, I wish same. that for everyone. Yeah, I it's did glorious. have student loans and paid
1: them off and agree with you. So Right, it it's, can, it's a anyone glorious. Anyone can be happy for people having loans. Right. Really. Well, actually, <laughs> like, I saw something about this that this week where there was some polling that had been done um essentially talking about like the the wider effects of the student loan relief because all of their their families were happy that they had their loan relieved. Parents are happy that they're not having to foot the bill for their child's education anymore or house them in their home because they can't was afford to beca- you know to pay their bills. Famously, or millennials like, didn't have the, houses. The, the the ripple effect of this is actually I think gonna be larger than then people know just because it's like for sure. as it turns out it's better for all of us when people aren't hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt now they still are i suppose if that's how much debt you have because you only got ten thousand right. dollars of it <laughs> forgiven but you get my point right i mean like it's just yeah. good when people don't have debt well
0: and that's i feel like maybe oftentimes i think that people can be very short-sighted about these kinds of policies because they don't think about just the wider benefits of living in a community where people aren't desperate right like i think that anything that decreases desperation in your community actually has like a direct positive effect on your life. It positively affects your life when there are not people having to sleep in tents on your corner. Hello. The way that I know that is because everyone in LA currently has people sleeping in tents on their corner. And I remember a time when that wasn't the case and it was yep. a happier time for all of us. Yep. Like these these kinds of like social ills that people like to kind of like barricade themselves, you know, from and therefore, you know, sort of assume that you know they they can kind of put blinders on and ignore because they're making the right choices they whatever right these are things that have impacts on your quality of life you live in a society you don't live in you know a, a bunker somewhere and if you do live in a bunker somewhere perhaps it would be nice if you could live in a not bunker somewhere in society and not feel constantly threatened or afraid or whatever it was that made you move to the bunker like i think people don't realize the extent to which like we are kind of interconnected economically and socially, whether or not we are personally interconnected. So I think it's always crazy that people can be, you know, we're encouraged to think of, um, of, of the economy in that kind of short-sighted way because that's capitalism for you. But I, it is better for everyone always when everyone is doing well. Yeah. In any case, let's talk about Alaska.
1: <laughs> let's. Oh, this my was gosh.
0: a very exciting evening on Wednesday where we all got push notifications on our phones that we read like 16 times being like, am I reading this right? <laughs> right. This, because <laughs> yeah. I so first of all, no one really knows what's going on in Alaska because Don Young, who vacated the seat by dying in office, had <laughs> held the one congressional seat that they have in Alaska for 49 years. <laughs> right. That is over a decade longer than I have been alive. so i don't even know what to think like what is alaska who could say like we we get maybe a glimpse at them in senate races but like they a get to have two senators one of their senators literally won a write-in campaign with the name murkowski so like (laughs) it's hard to know how to what to read about that and and even though it's traditionally considered a republican state and don young was a republican he was A, a republican of 50 years ago and b their other republican representation is like the murkowski's of the world who is flirting with the center even though she in the trump era has not actually achieved being in the center but so we all kind of passively assumed that this was just like a republican state and that's it but i think it's more complicated than that in alaska and i think that also (laughs) it was they switched to ranked choice voting because of what happened with murkowski so it was republicans that wanted to switch to ranked choice because they got primed by their own party, um, <laughs> right. So when we think of ranked choice as being a kind of progressive idea, but in Alaska's case, and I would say in Maine's case as well, the places where we've actually gotten statewide ranked choice voting have been because of Republican shenanigans, not because progressives wanted it. Yeah, and that I is mean,
1: what it, it causes. It, it doesn't. It helps whatever party would be otherwise splitting the vote. It doesn't have. Yeah. It doesn't care what party you're from. No. Right? I mean, it's it's you're Indiana voting. It's, it's not a it doesn't help. It shouldn't inherently help Democrats in the way that it did in this race. And no. there are a lot of Republicans who, who are out there, both from Alaska and otherwise. Tom Cotton has taken, you know, has turned this into his like new reason to live is to go against ranked choice voting. And it's sort of like, dude, like all you have to do is just sort of like decide that you're going to like mark the other Republican as your second tr- I mean, like, this was a it's slam dunk for them. There was no reason dunk. on God's green earth that anyone other than Mark Begich or Sarah Palin should have won this race.
0: But there was a reason, and the reason was <laughs> that, A, Alaska is an independently-minded state. They're not a Republican state. They're just a Looney tune state. Nobody knows yeah. what they're gonna do. And the fact that anyone assumed that, because ranked choice voting helps the majority, ultimately. Yes. That's who it helps. It helps yes. the majority. So whoever is in the majority is the, per- is the person that gets the benefit of the help. But yes. it also helps people that are not hated intensely by everyone.
1: Totally. And
0: that is where I think Alaskans got kind of screwed. Because one of their Republican candidates was one of the more hated people on Earth, Sarah right. Palin. Yes. One of the great American poet laureates, absolutely. Um, <laughs> sure. Not accidentally, of course, but, but yeah. certainly not beloved as a politi- political candidate because she... Already they tried to vote her in once to statewide office and she ran out on them to run for vice president and then became a reality star. Like she's not a legitimate person. Right. But what happened
1: here was that Begich was eliminated after the first round. He had like twenty eight percent of the vote. And so his fifty three thousand votes were then divided up right between Palin and Peltola, which is how ranked choice voting works. And um, uh, Peltola got fifteen thousand of his votes. And Palin got 27,000, but that left 11,000 people who didn't rank their second place candidate. So, like, Palin didn't get, like, those 11,000 votes, like, if you're thinking people here... Would have gone to Palin, and I would say a lot of them were thinking people, and they were. Just I would sort of say like, those were the thinkingest of people. I'm trying to vote people. for Sarah Palin, but there were also some people who got told by Sarah Palin, if you were paying attention to the Republican primary or not the primary, but just to the race in general, Sarah Palin was going around telling people not not to comply with ranked choice voting because yeah. it's just too confusing. And then there's also even a video of her being asked who people should mark as their second. Choice and she points to a picture of of Mary, uh, Peltola. So like she asked for this to a degree, and and caused some of the confusion. And now she's out there talking about how confusing it was. There's a hilarious quote from her.
0: Well, she was confused. Let me let
1: me find it. She has some good ones. Yeah, she said. uh, where is it? She said something about, oh yeah, ranked choice voting comes kicking in and then it becomes convoluted, complicated, mm-hmm. like, oh, how many second place votes do you get? How many third place votes do you get? I don't know. I was telling people all along, just don't comply. This was at a campaign event. <laughs> so Sadly. like, sh- what she should sure have been telling people is, mark me as your second choice. Right. Mark, if you're voting for me, mark Mark Begich as your second choice. And I think what Begich said was, A, she either doesn't understand ranked choice voting. And while That's I think it. she's stupid, I think she does actually understand. But his point was just sort of like she's so self-serving that like yeah. she didn't actually want to help the Republican Party. Like She didn't give a shit about that. Like, if she didn't get elected, she didn't care whether it was Mary Peltola or Mark Begich, right? Yeah. Like, she that was irrelevant to her. The point was that, like, it was her or no one.
0: Yeah, I think I mean, I think on some level, I believe that maybe she didn't understand how this worked to the in this in the sense that she didn't understand the second layer, which is that you need second place votes, too. I clearly she didn't care about helping Mark Baggage and like whatever. That sounds like Sarah Palin. She's a woman who literally just like walked out on the governorship. So like that is peak her. But it was clear to me that the part that she didn't understand is there is a second strategy piece beyond do I want to earn the first place votes where you start asking for people's second place votes. So you say to them, listen, if you're not going to vote for me, you should. But if you're not going to vote for me, you do want to make sure that a Republican keeps this seat. So if you're a baggage supporter, you have to put me second. Or, you know, like there is Uh, a, a world in which a I feel like if the opposite had been true, I. I bet that there are people who voted for Mary Peltola who put Mark Begich second because they hated Sarah Palin. I, yeah, and by the this, way, I led
1: us down a Mark Begich rabbit hole. It's Nick Begich. Mark I mean, Be- oh, the, God, the Be- Mark Be- I know. Yeah. Sorry, that's my fault. God the the Begiches are a a statewide family there who have had many of people with different first names elected to statewide office in Alaska. <laughs> so okay. This is Nick. <laughs> this is Nick. <laughs> my bad.
0: It's- Complicated, because there's only like 17 people in Alaska, and they're all baggage. <laughs> I know. So. And like
1: at least three of them that I'm aware of have the last name Baggage. So yeah. Um. No, it's <laughs> chaos out there.
0: Um, so this was the special election, which means this is a second special election loss for the Republicans. There was the right. CD19 situation in New York State um, a, a week ago, and then I think as listen, I'm not reading into this like Mary Peltola will be able to keep the seat into the general. I have no idea what will happen. There are other candidates running. Alaska's crazy. Chaos is chaos. Yeah, I do think it was a bad narrative for Republicans, though, because already they were reeling from the loss of the CD19 seat. Totally. And then they thought that they would be able to point back to this as like, OK, well, this is the special election where we yeah. come back, you know, swinging. And instead they had like an incredibly embarrassing loss which allowed pundits to once again be like, people are mad at the Republicans. Yeah,
1: and I think it also sort of like continues to, you know, all elections to a certain degree are about momentum, you know, right? And so I think it also just sort of like, and also, you know, uh, midterms are notoriously sort of base elections, which is why Democrats don't do so great in them a lot of times because their base voters don't, don't go out to to midterm. So I think that like this, it just like continues to feel like you've got the wind at your back. Right. Um, I I agree sort of with, you know, I don't agree with Sarah Palin a lot, but she, because it's the same three in the the midterm. Now this, like you said, this person will be seated until January because that's when the new Congress comes in, but it's all three of them that are running in the midterm in November. And Palin said that she's going to reload and she hopes that Alaskans learn from this voting system mistake and correct it for the next election. And I think that she's, probably right about this like I would assume that like a good chunk of those 11,000 baggage voters who didn't mark a second choice probably will in the midterm because like they are all probably horrified that they're now being (laughs) represented by a democrat so like I don't have a lot of hope for Mary Peltola but who knows it's like you said it's it's wild times up there Right. Nobody has
0: ever known what's going on in Alaska. (laughs) And certainly Alaskans themselves are the least informed about what's happening. And
1: Sarah Palin being the least informed of
0: the Alaskans. Alaskans. Yeah. Right. No, I also think like, I don't know. Listen, I I think that it's a seat that will probably end up in Republican hands. I think, though, that it will um, it'll be interesting to watch Sarah Palin suddenly have to beg for second place votes. (laughs) I know. Like, yeah. I'm just excited to see how her strategy changes. And also if she understands what happened.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, just don't be an idiot because Begich himself yeah. came out and was like, look, I marked her as my second choice on the ballot. Right. Like right. you can it doesn't it's not harming anyone to put a second choice of the somebody who is of the same member of the party that you belong to. Unless, like I just...
0: Unless that person is just fully unacceptable to you.
1: Well, I know. What would be absolutely hilarious is for people to have gotten mad enough at Sarah Palin for, like, telling people not to put second-choice votes, for not understanding this, for being, you know, just Sarah Palin, and then, like, the winner of the special election in November— being Nick Begich,
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: I mean, obviously, I'd prefer that Mary Palatola win, and we like keep it as a Democrat. But like, my second most favorite thing that would happen in that place would be that Sarah Palin is the one whose votes have to get thrown out on the first round of voting. Like,
0: I would be thrilled <laughs> to have that happen, even though I would be sad to have that happen. <laughs> right, I'd be I'd be both happy and sad about anything. Anything that is not Sarah Palin getting elected is something <laughs> I, that I'm excited to see in action.
1: I know. Yeah.
0: Can you imagine being Alaskan and being like I'm going to go vote for Sarah Palin?
1: Right. The person who I can't quit imagine in the middle of her governor's term just because being she was an like American over it and, and had that. a reality show that she wanted to produce? Like, I mean Also,
0: there is like an opening here. Like, I think that this gives it gives the other candidates an opening to get sort of like they they're going to get some airtime now because
1: for of the sure. focus on this
0: race, and I think that might change the conversation in this race because the one thing that sarah palin doesn't have to contribute to this is any ideas or thoughts
1: totally yeah so for sure. in any case it I also could be think very Mary Peltola is going to be able to fundraise off this she probably is already doing so I, I'm right sure. i mean like i would assume that she's seen an influx of cash since she won this race yeah, which she probably sure. didn't have prior so
0: And I'm also in favor of like one thing that I like to see is when a candidate in a state that Democrats normally ignore gets a surprise win and we actually like attempt to win a seat that we don't normally win. I think like so often we forfeit seats for no reason just because we felt like we couldn't try there. And I think in a in a place like Alaska, especially where there is not a consistent political identity that is identified with really one party or another. There's just sort of like the identity of independence there. Yeah. You should always make a play for an independent minded state. Like for sure there are, I can name some like Colorado, a state you should always make a play for New Hampshire, a state you should always make a play for Maine, a state you should always make a play for. Yeah. Is it always going to work? No, but you you can always try in an independent, you know, in a sort of libertarian state. And Alaska yeah. is the same. In any
1: case,
0: Um, the other big news of the week was about the Trump special master hearing on Thursday. And like Uh everything that's gone on post Mar-a-Lago raid has been just like glorious because (laughs) Donald (laughs) Trump is looking more and more like a fool with every passing moment. And also, I think like, look, do I think that he gets indicted and ends up in jail in a satisfying way for this? Maybe not. Here's what I do think, though. I think that every single thing that happens is like a further nail in the coffin of his uh, ability to evade any consequences for the January 6th hearings. Like, yes, I, I think he probably thought we're going to go on hiatus from these hearings. People are going to hear about how successful my rallies are. And then I'm going to be back on top and they're going to have to claw their way back out in September. Instead, yeah. it has been nonstop news about what a complete idiot he is. And also yes. what a criminal, like how much criming he's been up to.
1: Well, and, right. And I think, and the and the, this, and the specifics of what it is that he has done has really, I think, sort of like made him, you know, I think a lot of Republicans are still sort of like supporting him publicly. But I think when it comes to the likelihood of him being able to be the president again, like, I think diminishes by the, I mean, the news story. Every yes, news story that comes truly. out, it makes him less, more of a pariah, I think. Um, Which
0: is why we say it is currently your patriotic duty to gossip. Really? The only way we can save ourselves from this man is to gossip about him. So don't yeah. forget that. Um, so they are trying every petty thing that they can to slow things down for these hearing for these criminal hearings or. uh criminal investigations around his inability to or unwillingness, not inability, unwillingness to return classified government documents to the National Archives after he was asked repeatedly to over the course of many, many months. So on Thursday, they decided they were going to go to a judge in West Palm Beach, a Trump appointee judge, Eileen Cannon, um, and say that they wanted to have a special master involved to kind of filter to figure out which documents were actually privileged documents and which weren't. typically you don't bring a special master in for something like this you bring a special master in if you need to um if if there's uh if an attorney's office has been searched and there's an issue with protecting attorney client privilege so you don't normally bring a special master in because the president is being a tool um and also To do this you would have to find a special master that has the clearance to read all of these documents that were taken and that's going to be difficult so their whole plan in doing this is just to like gum up the works there is no like real agenda here um and eileen cannon did not actually issue a ruling she was just like i'm keeping it in mind so we don't know if there's going to be a special master but the arguments that they were making in this hearing were like patently ridiculous basically they were just trying to lean on arguments that like don't worry these documents weren't actually that important and um we need to lower the temperature on both sides and then my favorite is they're comparing this to quote an overdue library book scenario (laughs) returning top secret documents to the government is not an overdue library book scenario just check those out
1: to your home and i think yeah
0: no it's but also I think the DOJ has been smart about how they've presented the case a, because they have been really like actually making like legally sound arguments in response to like complete frippery from the other side, but also because they have managed to point out in the process that like these, uh, these documents were just being like stored randomly around Trump's office. Like part of the reason that they took so much stuff that, you know, was, was just like random items Trump owned is because classified documents were just like scattered throughout his personal effects, and so yeah. um, the other thing that the Trump team wanted was a detailed inventory of everything that was taken, which the DOJ was trying to not do because they were just like, "What the fuck, man!" Like that was also, also just like an attempt to gum up have, the works.
1: No, know, know what they took. Based on knowing what you had, which I feel like is, you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, no, he
0: was just taking random shit. That's That's, what I was going
1: to say. If I had a bunch of classified documents, I feel like maybe a thing that I would have done would have, you know, made my own inventory of the things that I had taken to know whether they had then, you know, I, we know that he didn't do that because we know
0: there was no serious plan here, but we also know that on Friday they did release that inventory and it just made him look worse. Everything that they've tried to gum up the works has just made them look worse. So we found yeah. out exactly how many top secret documents right. and confidential and how many had like
1: the highest like that SCI marking or whatever, too. Exactly. Right? Didn't we find like the ones that like he I mean, none of these should have been at Mar-a-Lago, but like ones that like he wouldn't have even had necessarily his own clearance to exactly to see. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we know that there were three documents marked confidential 17 marked secret and seven marked top secret. We know that in part they took photos of them and we know from the cover sheets because the cover sheets are color coded, how top secret all of these or how secret these are all official classifications, how privileged all of these documents (laughs) were. Um, And also makes it difficult for them to claim that they had no idea they were secret, because (laughs) the other thing that they've been trying to be like is who knew what we were taking. And it's like, well, you did know because it couldn't have been more clearly marked. The other thing that was brought to our attention in the midst of all this, because they released a photo of these documents, was that one of the things that they took was his box of fake Time magazine covers. Oh, that's right. He used to advertise he around all of his clubs and properties and his offices at Trump Towers, (laughs) he used to have fake Time magazine covers to, I guess, I don't know, impress people he was doing business with to um, like positioned him as like being honored for being like the best businessman on the planet or whatever. Yeah. And Time magazine at one point sued him because they were not real covers. And he, they asked him to take them down. And there was, like, a box of Time Magazine covers in that photo, which is it's so funny. It's so good. Um, we also know that the documents were being stored alongside his passports, which for some reason feels like a suspicious thing because it just feels like he was about to, like, take the money and run, essentially. Like, yeah. he was on his way to Russia with those documents.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um, but also, much as you don't store your passport just, you know... In like a special secret lockbox. Yeah. You just store it in your drawer because nobody needs your passport who isn't you. Uh, These documents were just strewn around. They were not. Some of them were in his safe. Some of them were not. Some of them were just around the office.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And then also the idea that he. Because I think they also tried to argue that like they were just in storage and everyone was like, no, they were strewn randomly around your office. They were not in storage. You were, it wasn't like you took them and didn't realize and then no one had checked those boxes. Right. Like these were things that were found throughout your stuff. So in any case, um, things are getting more exciting. And the Trump team is going to try to gum up the works here. And I actually think that that will just time out to be even worse for them. <laughs> because here's what I think could happen. This is a conspiracy theory. Do not listen oh, to me, but good. also listen carefully to me. Not I might know exactly what it. I'm talking about. I feel like they're assuming that they can um, kind of gum up the works until he announces he's running for president, and then yes. it'll be, like, too hard and political. You know, pol- it'll be a political football that, it, they're, you know. Um, I have a suspicion that what it will actually do timing-wise is make it so that the January 6th hearings have established such a degree of guilt on his part that it actually makes it impossible to not proceed with criminal charges in this investigation because he's so obviously guilty of everything. Like, I think that the longer he waits, the more his criming gets revealed, the harder it gets politically, but the easier it gets legally to put him away for something because it's at a certain point incumbent upon us to, like, protect our national security. And I think post the election, the Biden administration has literally no reason to not protect our national security if the threat is that dramatic and that imminent yeah um and knowing that there are going to be consequences either way because yeah it would be really bad because the trump trump world would totally erupt if they did something dramatic but trump world is more dangerous in political power than they are erupting in non-political power so even though they might try to have an armed insurrection we still have a military like (laughs) we are in a better position fighting them as they fight us illegitimately, then giving them legitimate access to power or even allowing them to steal an election and then letting them just sort of destroy American society from within. So I listen, I know the Bidens are not the most Biden himself is not a a big thinker a lot of the time. You know, I get that. But I feel like Trump's guilt and the, the obviousness of his criming. Our understanding of that obviousness just grows every second and the more they try to gum up the works with these criminal investigations yeah. the more that like everything becomes so much sort of like bigger and more uh time sensitive and dramatic because it makes our realization that this was criming coincide with another time that he was criming and there's going to be the you know the new york state investigation and like there's
1: right. going to be
0: too much going on yeah and it's going to be impossible to run for president under those circumstances. And he will try, probably, knowing him. Probably. But I mean, like, yeah. I think the longer he waits, no, the harder time he has actually declaring in a way that would make any sense.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: So if I were him, I would be like, let's find out now or never. Totally. Like, they, the longer that they have to devise their legal argument, the longer, yeah. the, the worse it is for him. Because he, yeah. he, he doesn't have lawyers that know what they're doing, and the DOJ does.
1: Right. In the meantime, President Biden is getting us ready for the purge. That's right. (laughs) And look, maybe it's coming based on what we just talked about. But he's leaning in for sure, because he he gave a speech on Thursday night. Found a theme. That he really did. Right. It was night. It was dark. There were blood red floodlights. There were (laughs) some Marines behind him, which even some Democrats have maybe taken some issue with. Uh, It was it was a lot of look.
0: That was a lot of work.
1: <laughs> um, and <laughs> I, it was a, a battle a, a, for the
0: soul of the nation, some might say this
1: fa- I know. And I will admit to not watching it.
0: Well, who wants uh, to watch Joe Biden give a speech?
1: Hello. I mean, uh, and you know Republicans. I love speech. So I don't know if the bulging veins were referenced. Mm, I'm assuming yeah. if he was talking about the soul of the nation that they, they probably absolutely were. were because he can't. Talk about the soul of the nation without talking about bulging veins. That's, um, that's his thing. So, you know, anyway. But, it, yeah, it was billed against – it was billed as a major – yeah, a soul of the nation. Oh, and what did they say? Oh, yeah, it was all about, like, you know, standing against Trump and his unique threat to American democracy. And he kept talking about, you know, the MAGA Republicans. He doesn't yeah. usually name drop Trump when he's, like, giving speeches like this. But he actually did in this speech. So that was sort of an interesting new little twist that, you know, isn't that big of a deal, but was something that people were noticing anyway. Um, But, you know, it felt very dire and I get it. Shit's dire. Sure. Um, But it, it definitely felt like a choice, especially on the heels of some of the recent like Democratic election wins, the the vote in Kansas in regards to Roe, I think a lot of people felt like, you know, we talked, I think on the last podcast about like how you know, now they felt like they really sort of like had a story to tell going into the midterms, right? And they certainly wanted to sort of like mark a contrast with Republicans but I think a lot of people, whether they agreed or disagreed with sort of like the basis of this speech felt like the tone was interesting. (laughs) Uh, and potentially maybe not great. Too, too interesting, right? Like I mean, even if you sort of are a person who was like, I agree with every single word that just came out of his mouth, but like, a, is he just goading Republicans into doing the purge? Yes. B, um, did is it drumming them up in a way that maybe they weren't already? like cuz clearly this was a political speech right like i mean yeah. the it was a primetime address that had no information in it That's correct. <laughs> right, it was a, it was
0: a, it was about feelings more than anything else. Yeah,
1: i mean it was literally you know you usually get a primetime address of this nature like either at a convention this felt more like a convention speech yeah. obviously honestly than it did like you know something where he's going to like announce that he's just killed a terrorist or something like that which is like the other thing that he might like preclude primetime programming to and might require
0: like red floodlights for
1: <laughs> right exactly
0: i have an alternate pitch for a take but sure i don't know if i believe it so i'm just putting that out there this felt to me like he was trying to steal the the sort of naysaying momentum of the republican party a little bit They go on and on about what a dark time it is. And they they're constantly scaremongering their own voters. They they don't have a real vision for anything. All they do. They talk about how dangerous everything is and how much crime is everywhere. And they you know how Democrats are coming for your children and trying to feed them school lunch or whatever they're so mad about. But (laughs) But Republicans are often using framing that indicates that the Democrats are like coming for you. Yeah. And I think that a lot of Republican voters, because this is a scary time, are really responsive to that tone, Uh even though it's a ridiculous tone to strike. And I'm normally not in favor of Democrats ceding to that tone because I think it's dumb. But I think (laughs) that one person who does it really well is Bernie Sanders. I think he is somebody Uh, who can both. I think where Biden often fails in this regard and Sanders succeeds is Sanders will then give you a vision of hope following that, where you're like, oh, we could do this instead. Biden just seems to deliver speeches where he tells you how terrible everything is, and then you're like, okay, but so what... (laughs) What, what well, else that's, is there? that's exa- that, you I th- offering? Uh,
1: well, that's ex- I think that was but, my main problem with this, is that there was just no sort of like, okay, there's well, no if, here. If, if the Republicans are coming for our rights, then like, let's expand the court. If they're coming for our democracy, then like, I'm going to, you know, threaten the lives of all 50 senators so they can make sure to get rid of the filibuster to pass voting rights. And I mean, like, there's a, you know, there's, you're absolutely right. It's like, where's the, where's the thing that, what am I doing to save democracy other than asking you to vote for me as a person who is not Donald Trump?
0: Right. It's like another example of them asking us to ask them to do something. Right. Exactly. But I will say that I feel like him trying to steal this tone out from under them to kind of indicate that he understands that this is a scary time is maybe the right instinct on the heels of him actually showing that he did have some like legislative, you know, agenda. I, I feel like they frequently make the wrong choices when they try to do these theatrical moments. I think that the Biden team is like among the worst at like political theater of any of uh, not for not in history. I think historically he's actually quite gifted in that regard. I think that for the moment that we're in, his team seems to like sort of fundamentally misunderstand how to communicate to people in a way that is problematic. Um, But I do think that there is maybe an intention here to kind of pull some of the wind out of the republican sails because the only other person who i have heard deliver a speech that is this dark and this sort of doomy doomy and gloomy is donald trump himself he is somebody <laughs> who can deliver a speech about how terrible everything is and he's yeah. not constrained by facts yeah. so yeah. he'll tell you anything is happening that yeah. he thinks in his imagination is happening yeah. and i think there was some there was something of that tone here where yeah. it was just like it was it was like meant to feel spooky and scary in the way that donald trump often makes voters feel but yeah. it almost to me felt like they were going on the offense a little which is an interesting choice in a midterm because I, usually you're on the defense in a midterm
1: i and- agree and that is why i actually think that like maybe this was very smart politically because midterms are always and when i say always i'm using it mean- literally Right. always okay. a ba- they're always a referendum on
0: yeah.
1: who the president is at the time so it's joe biden right. right now i think for the first time potentially ever it you could make it about somebody else yep and i think that they're trying to do that because up until recently maybe you haven't had great feelings about joe biden <laughs> right so I mean- like if they can make this midterm a choice in a way that it really shouldn't even be <laughs> because exactly. he's already the president, will be for the next two years. If they can do that, then I think they probably can do maybe better than a lot of people have expected. And I think they have a, an opportunity to do that in a way that previous presidents in midterms haven't because the specter of Donald Trump is scarier to people than you know maybe the specter of you know, a second just like Bill Clinton feeling, term was feeling whatever, annoyed you know, with Joe Biden I, for two more years right exactly so like I actually do think that it's smart I, I have maybe some questions about the tone although I think that your take on it is an interesting take as to sort of just like match their their yeah. tone but like in terms of making the midterms about a choice as opposed to a referendum on him I think if he can pull that off then I think it will probably help Democrats so I think on a very sort of like core level of what he's trying to accomplish with this I think it's smart I don't know if he accomplished it or not but
0: well and it's also it's making the Republicans look like whiny assholes because part (laughs) of there's some context here which is that there's a sort of secondary issue brewing where in a separate speech that was at a private event in Maryland he referred to MAGA Republicans as semi-fascists or he said that it you know that it's like semi-fascism and they all got so offended by it because they're such delicate little flowers and so they're all demanding apologies for being called semi-fascist but i think it was actually important that somebody remind like that somebody with authority and a moderate too not just somebody on the left yeah be like you guys these guys are fascists because they are
1: yeah
0: and like i think a lot of the time much like the word socialism gets used as a scare word instead of a word that you know retains its literal meaning. Yeah. I think we just call people fascists because we're mad at them a lot of the time and we don't <laughs> right. really remember what fascism is. Right. Um, and well, nobody knows what
1: socialism is, is either, so we're well, using I was gonna both correctly right. all the time. And
0: they <laughs> use them interchangeably a lot of the time, which is really <laughs> insane. But, yeah. like, uh, I, I think that sort of reframing what MAGA republicanism is around is. something that you can pull from history that had, like, a clear <laughs> negative result Yeah. Totally. Um, is probably smart and also might shock people into like looking a little harder like i think we have become so used to this strain of crazy in american politics that we are not really thinking straight about what you know what we could do to combat it uh rhetorically because a lot of the time we're too afraid to say what we're actually seeing because it seems so insane that we feel like we're the ones who are i feel like we're being gaslit just because we like can't believe how insane and how cruel people like political actors that at one time were like rational political actors are being and like i think it's helpful that he put a word to it that has you know significant meaning that is dramatic but is also allows them to run around being like it's so mean that he called us fascist because they're just reminding everyone every day that they were called fascist recently i know and all they talk about the
1: other thing too that is sort of smart about this is that it's it's also sort of like self proving, too, because the response yeah. to this, uh, not just from, you know, whiny Republicans who are like, don't say mean things about us, has also been, you know, a lot of people online in, you know, MAGA Republican forums saying that they're going to kill the president. That's right. <laughs> so, oh, you know, yeah. so when they're... people ask, like, are you being too mean about that? Like, all they have to do is be like, well, no, because I said that there's going to be political violence, and now they're threatening political violence. So it's sort of, you know, it's like, and also
0: they are like doing it in the language of of direct white supremacy. They're talking about Jewish administration officials. They're, totally. you know, like they're they're doing it because I think one thing that we talked about a lot after Charlottesville, but I think kind of disappeared from the political discourse is the extent to which um, white supremacy as an ideology is really at its base. Um, Sort of anti-Semitic above all else. Sure. Well, it, and how it much is mostly I mean, to, about how right. like Jews are controlling everyone else. So, so all of the people well, that they how hate much are Nazism being controlled. We still have
1: by- in this country. We talked about that Holy. a lot after Charlottesville. Like that's not gone. From here. Totally. You know? But so, I think yeah.
0: that it's funny because it feels so like anachronistic to this time because it is very clearly a time where the people in the most physical danger are like black and brown people, women, like, totally. you know, groups of people that we are like used to being able to visually identify as not getting treated fairly by authority figures in society. It's, but I don't know, because I don't
1: know if you've heard or not. It's hard out there for white men right now.
0: <laughs> I, I I'm hearing about it constantly on Twitter. <laughs> but I mean, I, I feel like. The um, the like weird backlash online to him calling people semi fascists has just reminded everyone that they are not just people. They're not just racist. They they subscribe. Like there is this whole horde of MAGA people that like subscribe to an ideology that is much broader than just racism and much more sort of like uh, political. It's it's not that it's not racist. Obviously, it's very directly racist, but it's it's a, a sort of an established political identity for them. It is not just, you know, about who the news and American society and media taught them to distrust. It is yeah. a deeper distrust that is a conspiracy theory that is incredibly dangerous that they are now sort of openly admitting that they subscribe to all over the Internet in response yeah. to being called fascist, which they're is exactly sort of wrapping what it
1: up in being anti-woke at this point. Right. Like yes. that's what they're that's I feel like. That's but it the makes new, like, the clear. The conne- it's way. like,
0: oh, being anti-woke is being a white supremacist. They are helping us make that connection directly by making it, it for is. us.
1: Yeah. Right. Oh, we're not. We're not racist. We're just—we just don't think that you know black people should have the same rights as white people, right. and the and the police officers should be able to kill That's them. And we're not—you know—we're <laughs> not—we're not—we're uh, not homophobic, but we don't—we don't—you know—we don't
0: think that gay people should be allowed to teach our children or live. be in libraries, right.
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: My—I was saying this to my mom the other day. Like, it also my favorite thing about their drive to like get rid of all books that have gay parents or gay characters in them, is like. So many of the like classic sort of like, you know, books about gay parents or whatever that came out when we were kids or that when we were young are so at this point are so outdated and irrelevant that like I was sort of like, yeah, well, they're teaching people like a very outdated version of what sort of like LGBT America is anyway. It's almost like they are helping us go to the Internet to learn about even more (laughs) radical (laughs) takes. On gender and sexuality. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just seems like instead you go to the internet and then you find out, like, that the language and sort of representation has evolved so dramatically. And, like, instead maybe you could just think forever that, like, Heather has two mommies and that's, like, the extent of how radical, you know, (laughs) gay people are. Like,
1: Yeah. They do this
0: themselves, you guys. They do this to themselves. Um, But also, let's... Do the part where we don't just say what's so scary, but think about how to do something about it. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, and, you know, it's something that you and I have been talking about on the podcast for quite some time when we were talking about voting rights and sort of like this desire to sort of like save democracy. Continue to deliver for people, right? Right. I mean, like, I feel like they've got some things passed. We have our issues that we've stated on the podcast about some of them. But, you know, like continue to give people a reason to think that they should save democracy. Right. And then people will continue to vote for you in your effort to save it.
0: I mean, it it writes itself,
1: the, <laughs> it writes itself. Yeah.
0: the argument for saving democracy writes itself once you're trying to save democracy.
1: <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Uh, Trump was not thrilled with Biden's speech. And no. less thrilled than Brent and I. Uh, <laughs> He was at a rally in Pennsylvania on Saturday night because he's trying to drum up some support for Dr. Oz, because it turns out that no one has even a passing interest in uh, electing him to be the senator from Pennsylvania, especially because he is a gentleman from New Jersey, New Jersey. Um, But so he's delivering a speech and he called Biden's speech the most vicious, hateful and divisive speech ever (laughs) delivered by a U.S. president. You're From all man enemies who of the state. Up a
1: coup.
0: <laughs> That's right. You're all enemies of the state. He's an enemy of the state. If you want to know the truth, the enemy of the of the state is him and the group that controls him, which the- is Trump making reference to white supremacist philosophy. Because in the the quote unquote group that controls him, there is an implication there, given that his supporters have been firing off about who's Jewish in the cabinet this whole time. There is an implication there that the. You know, that there's sort of like this Illuminati of like Jewish people controlling the world. That's what that's meant to imply to you if you are a white supremacist listening to this speech. And so Donald Trump is speaking directly to white supremacists, which, uh, listen, I don't know why I'm acting like I'm shocked about that. That's what he does all the time. But but it just makes the case. um,
1: It was a real um, stand down and stand by uh, it was a real moment. stand
0: down and standby moment.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, meanwhile, my favorite thing about this whole situation has been Kevin McCarthy just being on a never ending search to get an apology. Needs a Joe personal Biden.
1: apology. Gave a speech on the floor of the house. I mean, this is a man who really he has this
0: most well, sensitive feelings.
1: Cannot go on with himself unless he's apologized too publicly. I
0: had no idea that he was so sensitive. <laughs> Delicate flower, Kevin
1: McCarthy. Oh man.
0: Um. Meanwhile, all of this is just nonsense just distracting us from the very real issue that's going on in Mississippi right now, where the residents of Jackson have been living without water all week. They finally turned the water on today, Sunday. Um, but I, it kind of alerted us to a larger situation that's going on in Mississippi and is also maybe like a situation that explains why you need a federal government, um, yeah. which is what I'm taking from this story. So Jackson is the capital of Mississippi, which... I guess means nothing. Albany is the capital of New York. What people don't care about capitals. However, yeah. there's 150,000 people that live there. That's like a pretty big city. Um yeah. and they have had failing water infrastructure on a level that is like beyond just like developing nation failing water infrastructure for yeah. years at this point. So, yeah. they had already been under a boil yeah, water it's, notice.
1: It's Flint style.
0: It's Flint style. They had yeah. been under a but but more so than Flynn, because in Flynn's case there was like a corporate interest that came in and destroyed everything. This is just neglect. It is yeah, it's a neglect years it's a of neglect issue. and yeah. and and direct racism, essentially. Because Well, that's so, it,
1: that's it. Because you said there's a need for a federal government, and you're hundred percent right, but there's also a need but the reason for is, a state government to actually fund some of these projects because and the reason is Purely political. I mean, it's where the black and brown people live, and yeah. they're electing Democrats, and they don't want to fix it.
0: Well, and that's the reason you need a federal government is because well, right, if you end d- up in this defunders. dynamic right, yes, where they have defunders. a city council right. that's a majority black, they have a state government that's a majority white and Republican. And so yep. the city council has been asking repeatedly for money to fix their failing infrastructure for years. And the yep. infrastructure failures there go beyond the water system. I mean, they have like potholes, they have like ev- there's infrastructure, sewage issues, everything is going wrong there. Um, yep. But because of this, every time there's a severe weather event, they have like a crisis-level situation on their hands. And so, yep. there was some flooding last week in the Pearl River that damaged yep, the bad. main water treatment plant really bad. Um, and so, w- the water got turned off, or people were running like brown water. It was so dangerous that the oh, people that didn't have the water, water
1: coming out of the yeah. tap there. And it is it's not what really
0: you're for. gross. The, the water that you did have was not safe to bathe in or anything like right. that. Certainly not. Well, safe and to some drink, of th-
1: these were like, some, some of these photos were like in the time where they had boil, boil water notices. Right. And it was like black water. And it's like, well, you can't, you can't boil they have had a boil
0: that. <laughs> water notice since July 30th there.
1: Yeah. Well, and off and on for years also, like sometimes and and they will years, just yeah. get like pop up boil water notices, like just because, um, that was I was listening this, to a story about this on NPR the other day that was crazy where they were talking to a bunch of college students who have just arrived now right. in many instances and like can't shower in their dorms can't drink water anywhere and they were schools shifted other students. to remote learning yeah and for they this. were talking to other students who have like lived there for a while and they were like oh we just we just kind of get used to it we gotta persevere it's what makes us strong and like these kids who are Good like Lord. eighteen and nineteen just being like this is what we're having to do college students like. Not being able to, I mean, it's sad for anyone, obviously, but I mean, it's just sort of like, it's bizarre that like that would be your mindset as like a student who is like, they were talking to some girl who came from Georgia and she was like, no, I'll probably stay. And it's like, girl, bye. Get out of there. Get gone. (laughs) Like, I mean, like, but that's distracting from the larger picture of the fact that they just need to fucking fix this.
0: Yeah. And it's, Um, you know, the, the governor finally declared a state of emergency on Tuesday. Um sort of days into the crisis, yeah, dragging act- his
1: feet for sure, dragging
0: his feet the whole time, activated the National Guard, Biden released some federal funds, blah, blah, blah. But this is on the heels of years of like emergency level conditions that have gone unaddressed by the government there. And yeah. I think, you know, one of the reasons you need a federal government is in case your state government is filled with assholes and you have a yeah. city that is, you know, th- that is being very uh, sort of directly uh, targeted by their policy, you know, by their uh, poor policy priorities. Yeah. I think, you know, and Jackson have, they is an area... S- they have
1: funded this off and on over the years, and then the funding will always run out. Like, I mean, like, yep. they've they've given lip service to doing something about this, but have never committed to actually doing so in any sort of meaningful way.
0: Well, and, like, this is not even the longest that they have gone without water recently, because there yeah. was a storm in 2021 where they're not, their water system got knocked out for a month. Like, this has been ongoing for years at this point point, yeah. and like the the sort of the the fact that you know it happened so swiftly and it happened as a result of flash flooding that we were already sort of primed to pay attention to this time and that's why we noticed this time but like yeah. the the sort of echoes of flint plus echoes of just like further direct racism because this isn't even yeah. this isn't even a situation in which racism allowed you know a a, a private kind of company to come in and screw up a place this is just like you know outright well uh, it's totally ignoring you know responsibility and it's
1: another example of and further proof as to why you know climate justice is a racial justice issue also you know i mean like this is every it's it's always you know people in cities or neighborhoods like this who who bear the brunt of Whenever there's a, a climate disaster,
0: well, and when you have flooding and, and water this isn't even issues. a climate disaster.
1: I mean, it was there was flooding, but like right, in the but sense, but it wasn't that, the like, floods that were the disaster. I was going to say they have floods there was infrastructure there. Failures. Like, uh, it's, It was an infrastructure issue. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. they they should be able to withstand an event like this if you know, but it, it was felt a lot dealt. like
0: what we witnessed in Texas during those power outages. It felt. Yeah like the state government was nowhere to be found they dragged their feet because the other issue that they have in jackson is they'll get these like spikes in water bills because of the water issues there so there's like a number of ways in which the system between being deregulated between not being maintained has been sort of targeting communities that already don't receive enough resources for years anyway um and and when you have a system like that it's very precarious. And then when one major climate crisis happens, which we now know will there will always be a major climate situation happening yeah. no matter where you live and whoever you know, you are that you, you become suddenly very you know vulnerable to these kinds of dramatic situations. Whereas, like, yeah. listen, if you know, if there was an issue with a major water treatment plant in California, that would be inconvenient in the neighborhood that Brent and I live in. And also, we probably would not be dealing with a crisis of this magnitude, right? You know, there would probably not be like large puddles of sewage everywhere. There would probably not be actual brown water coming out of our taps there. You know, yeah. the 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 level of basic infrastructure is how you insulate yeah. yourself from, like, further crises in these situations. Yeah. And these become health crises, ultimately, because totally. it's a health hazard to not have, you know, clean water and yeah. to not have a, a drainage system that works and to have potholes everywhere where you and, and you know to have people like I was reading some story that was ostensibly about this water crisis, but also this woman had like, you know, gone through a pothole that was so big that her car essentially got flooded. Like the, these are, these are issues that build on themselves. So. Hey. Case, not great news. That's the news this not week though. great news. Um, happy Labor Day.
1: Yes. Do something celebrate. to celebrate. Starting
0: That's right. To celebrate Join Labor Day. Union. Start one. And if you are in a union already, rabble rouse a little. You know, it's Labor Day. You don't want to miss celebrating the holiday the way it was intended to be celebrated. Um, We will be back, potentially not next week because the Sunday of next week is 9-11 anniversary itself. And I will be busy. But after that, we'll be back and you'll get to hear all the fun news from us and everyone.